Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to anfieldindexpro.com and get started today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. With the Reds re-establishing their five-point lead at the top of the Premier League table with an emphatic 4-1 win over Chelsea on Wednesday evening, Klopp's side turned their attention to Arsenal as the Reds travel to the Emirates this Sunday for a huge afternoon clash. Joining me on the pod this week to discuss Arsenal's season to date whether they still consider themselves to be in the title race, and whether trade-offs in favour of solidity have come at the expense of their attacking verve. I'm delighted to welcome on Chief Arsenal Writer for Football London, Kai Kainak, to have this conversation with me. Welcome on, Kai. Good to speak with you. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's been um, been a while in the making. Uh, it's a sort of get, getting various folks on to chat about Arsenal over the past couple of seasons, and um, yeah, it's been interesting having a chat with obviously journalists or fans just to discuss the progress, the sort of huge development that the club's made over those past few seasons. Uh, this season feels like it's an especially competitive one for um, not only the top four spots, but like at the moment, the title as well. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, like currently obviously Arsenal third in the league, 22 games played, 46 points. Um, we'll come on to talk about all the different narratives we could talk about ahead of the weekend's game. But um where are your thoughts on where Arsenal find themselves at the moment? Obviously, had a huge deal of momentum, uh, I'd say, sort of prior to Christmas, and then and then had a a shaky patch, and now seem to be trying to rebuild that. 
Yeah, it might sound strange to say for a team that is, like you say, close to the top of the league, exactly. comfortably yeah. qualified for the Champions League round of 16, obviously gone out of both domestic cups, but I don't think that was particularly ever their, their aim for the season. But it has been, I think, a little bit disappointing for Arsenal this season. They've had bright spots. So beating Manchester City was a real high earlier in the season and they've had moments and glimpses where they've looked really good. Hmm. But uh, Arsenal's big issue has been they haven't been able to find a consistency when it comes to the attack. And whereas last season there was so much free-flowing attacking football and it was really exciting to watch, this season has been, I guess, a little bit more dull. Mikel Arteta, I think, would argue more controlled and I think he's happy with that. There's less of those roller coaster games where, I don't know, like Bournemouth last season where Arsenal scored in the last minute or all those draws that Arsenal had in a row where their title seemed to fall away. You know, I remember the game at Anfield last season, which was a, a, a fantastic match. And then mm. Southampton and West Ham after that, there's less of those kind of games. There's more tight 1-0, kind of games that I think maybe are less appealing on the eye, but from a managerial standpoint will be a lot more pleasing because the team is following their tactical instructions to the nth degree. It is creating a bit of a problem in the final third though. And um, yeah, goal scoring has been an issue a bit, all season for Arsenal and they're, they're struggling on that front so I think given the progress that was made last season and, and the amount that was spent in the summer and the excitement about Arsenal's business in the summer I think many would have maybe expected Arsenal to be a little bit better this season but that's not to say they've been bad they've just maybe not been as uh, exciting as, as some might have hoped for but like I say there's, there's pros and cons to that yeah, because I think you mentioned it, and I think the context is is interesting because obviously five points off the top of the league at the moment. Um, you know, that's not cut adrift by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you mentioned the prog- the progress in Europe. Uh, you know, the, the first season back in the Champions League for a number of years as well. Uh, I, I'm interested in, in, in sort of where that it's not overriding negativity, but where that sort of slight negativity is coming from. Is you know, it, it, do you think it's mostly down to that style? Um, uh, theme in terms of Arsenal having had that more um, expansive free-flowing attack last season, the likes of Martinelli uh, and and Saka certainly certainly Martinelli um, seeming to be more like empowered, like more in, involved in terms of the number they're producing in the final third, as opposed to this season where, as, as you talk about. Um, we see with many sides that um, push for the title, um, as, as fun as it is to imagine you can do it just with the attack, very often it's not. It's, it, it is that uh, middle of the field, it, it is the, the defence that will ultimately keep you up there um, in contention for longer in the season. Do you, do you think that's where the negativity is is really coming from then in terms of like people like longing for some of that attacking verve of last season? Yeah, possibly. I think maybe I should row back a little bit on saying how, how disappointing and negative it's been like I did in my first answer because mm. it is important to highlight that, you know, maybe for all the offensive sacrifices, Arsenal have been brilliant defensively this season and they've controlled games and smothered teams and very few teams have been able to better Arsenal. Even the teams they've lost to, they've been in every single game pretty much except for Fulham where they were completely outplayed. So from that perspective, I think Arsenal will be relatively happy and I wouldn't say the mood around the club and the fan base is particularly down and they're thinking god we're you know liverpool's coming up we're gonna lose that one we're gonna lose this one we're gonna lose that one i don't think that's quite the mentality but equally i don't think there's quite the the sense of confidence that you might expect for a team that is in arsenal's position like we said at the start you know challenging for league titles one of the favorites in the champions league they'd be fancying themselves and i don't quite get that vibe from the fan base at least the mentality among the squad is is certainly different from what it used to be but I think you're right in when you say that yeah just sacrificing that attacking verve has 
maybe lost some of the um, the magic of last season. And listen, if Arsenal do go on to win the league, I think everyone will accept that sacrifice as, as one that needed to be made. And Arsenal have had a lot of injuries this season. They've had key players out, whereas last season, first half of the season at least, until the very end more or less, they were able to keep more or less their entire starting 11 bit. So prior to the World Cup, Arteta had started eight out of the 11 players in every single match in the Premier League this season. He's not been able to do that at all. He's, I think, only been able to field the, the same 11 twice in a row. So Arsenal have had to shop and change a lot. They've, they've lost that consistency. They've lost that fluidity that was such a key component of their play last season. And I think maybe with all that going on and maybe the expectations being so high and being so much higher now, whereas last season it was maybe a bit of a shock that Arsenal were able to go on a title race this season, it was expected Maybe that's why some of the sheen has come off it a little bit. But it's important to stress, like I say, that it's not doom and gloom at Arsenal. It's not negative. It's not terrible. I think maybe just slightly below where people were hoping it might be at this point. Yeah, I think it's important to emphasise that. And I've got a lot of North London members of my uh, extended family. Um, my Liverpool supporting um, credentials come from my from my dad. But the rest of my family, having grown up in in North London, um, there's a large Arsenal contingent. And I, th- I think you're right for me, what I've, I mean, not that they represent the entire base, the, the fan base, <laughs> but what I've sensed from them, it was, yeah, like b- before Christmas, um, yeah, perhaps this slight unease with sort of the, the the change in playing style, but happy with that it was producing results and sort of happy with that sort of sacrifice. And then a, a little bit of the confidence has has, um, has shaven off since then. But I think, as you say, it's sort of very handily placed, still lots to um, sort of lots that could transpire between now and the end of the season. Uh, I'm seeing just just some quotes because obviously we are um, the, the January window has just finished. Um, I saw some quotes from from Mikel Arteta talking about I think it was following the Nottingham Forest win, uh, talking around sort of the, the squad maybe being thin in certain areas um, and it not really being possible to do much business any business in January um because they didn't really think that that business would improve uh what uh what they have um do, do you get the sense that like the squad is thin in certain areas you mentioned the injuries and I think whenever any team is going for a title charge uh having luck with injuries as well as good processes is, is going to be essential and I think Arsenal definitely had that last season in terms of sort of the as you as you talked about the number of players who were available for selection um for the vast majority of the season do you get that impression that the squad is still in certain areas? Do you think that some of that attacking or lack of uh, sort of attacking ruthlessness could have been uh, bolstered? Uh, or, or do you think actually what Arteta is saying there about it being quite difficult to uh, improve upon sort of the various um, members of the squad that you have is uh, is more the case? I think both things are right, to be fair. I think there are areas that Arsenal could improve on. Um, defence in particular is one where the depth has been short this season they've been desperately unlucky because they signed Yuri and Timber to solve that issue he can play anywhere across the back line and look fantastic in pre-season and then first game of the actual season picks up an ACL and you've lost him for nine months and even that's quite a difficult one to replace because do you go out and sign another player on a five-year contract who's of Timber's level or do you wait for him to come back and see if your investment that you've initially made is is of the same quality as it was before the injury and even with Timber out Arsenal have a, a decent depth in the back line, Saliba, Gabriel, Gibby or uh, Tommy Asu, Ben White and, and Zinchenko. But the issue is that Ben White has struggled a little bit with injury. Alex Zinchenko and, and Takira Tommy Asu are both quite injury prone players as well. So Arsenal have struggled a little bit at the back there. But again, that's more due to bad luck than bad planning. I think they've just been really unlucky with the defensive side of things. 
up front, I think is where you could maybe criticise him a little bit more in terms of many people would have been able to tell you that Gabriel Jesus and Eddie Nketiah probably isn't a Premier League winning strike force, especially given that other teams have such strong strike force. So you talk about Liverpool with, you know, their front six, even, you know, Jota, yeah. Nunez, uh, uh, Salah. I'm going to try and remember them all. Gakpo. Um, others who aren't coming to mind right now. Diaz, plenty of others. And City, obviously, with all their attacking might and, and Erling Haaland and, and all those kind of things. Other teams are going to be able to, to outscore Arsenal because Arsenal don't have a killer in the box. And they've been kind of screwed by the fact that Gabriel Martinelli, as you mentioned earlier, has not been on top form this season. I think he's really struggled with the fact that teams sit back in low blocks against Arsenal, so there's no space. Hmm. Saka is getting marked by two or three players per game, so it's very difficult for him. Erdegaard's been in and out of form with with injuries as well, and all the players who were scoring last season, Granit Xhaka was key in front of goal for Arsenal last season. He's obviously gone. So I think you could have argued that Arsenal needed a bit more up front going into the season. Many people would have said this is the team that nearly won a title last season and it was a strike force that scored a record number of goals in an Arsenal season last season. Arsenal had never scored more Premier League goals than they did with this exact strike force last year. But looking at the players and looking at who they've got available, I think there was definitely scope for an addition up front. The issue was having spent 105 million on Declan Rice, having spent 65 million on Kai Havertz and another 40 odd on Timber and then committed themselves to another 30 million on, on David Raya, who's initially on loan. They weren't able to then go and spend on the forward areas, which I think are key if you're going to win a title. And I think that's where you can start to maybe criticise the squad planning, prioritising areas of the squad that maybe weren't a priority there and then. So you look at maybe going out and spending 65 million on Kai Havertz He's split opinion since he's arrived. I don't think he's been too bad personally, but I don't think he's been worth the 65 million that Arsenal paid for him. And when you look at that, you see maybe could there have been a cheaper alternative that Arsenal could have got, and then they could have gone out and used some of that money to to go and sign a forward who could have bolstered their ranks because there have been plenty of games this season where you look at the bench, if Arsenal are struggling to score, those games around Christmas where they lost to West Ham and Fulham and even Liverpool in the Cup are, are good examples where you look to the bench and you think, what have Arsenal got beyond Jesus, Martinelli and Saka? Trossard is a good player and has scored quite a few goals this season and, and contributes a lot. But if he's not on form, beyond that, Reese Nelson, Eddie Nketiah, all you know, decent players, but not players who I think you can rely upon to change gauge from the bench. So that's an area I'd say where Arsenal are lacking in depth in the squad. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily unfortunate because they've made the decision to give contract extensions to Eddie Nketiah and to Reese Nelson and to plenty of those players who are in the front line. So, yeah, that's what's going on up there. No, it's interesting to hear your perspective on it. I think I think Liverpool's uh, well, current title charge has definitely been fueled in in one part by, obviously, you talk about that attacking depth, but obviously that gives you the options off, the, off of the bench. Um, and I think the way in which uh, Klopp has used substitutes this season has been probably more impactful than I've seen for a long time, really trying to use all five of them where possible. Um, and... Yeah, I think what's good about those attacking options you were reading out there is that they all, quite a few of them are very different. So that they 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 do present different questions to a team when you throw them on. If if one, uh, if if one forward isn't necessarily asking the right sort of questions of a defense, a, a, a different forward with different styles can can help shake things up. And I, I was looking before this at sort of just the number of players being used by. Um, by teams across the league, and I think uh, I think I'm right in saying that Arsenal this season actually are using a, a smaller crop of players um, uh, between each and every game, which would make sense to your point, right? Injuries taking some toll, um, perhaps a. Are you that person who has everything? 
the coolest merch and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply index uh, a lack of depth when it comes to sort of the high quality options in in different positions and you, you mentioned martinelli he's he's one that's been intriguing to me uh, just in terms of has seemed to play a low in confidence um and has seemed to play a, who i think has struggled from the fact that there hasn't necessarily been uh you know a obvious option to rotate with him yes trossard's come in and done well but uh, he, he has played a lot of games martinelli um and uh, just I suppose the uh, the result the the coaching staff are looking for from him is just to play his way through this patch. Do you think he's uh, suffered in a, a certain way from Jacker's departure um, and maybe obviously a slight change in approach from Arsenal? Because from what I did see of Arsenal last season, it was you know Jacker receives the ball. His very his very first thought was to release it quickly to Martinelli um, in whatever space he had. Um, and uh, as you pointed out. You know, deeper defences, you know, more men marking you. Uh, it's been tougher for him. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Kai Havertz has obviously been the the primary replacement for Granit Xhaka in the Arsenal team this season. They've had lots of different players play that left eight role uh, that Xhaka played in last season, but it has primarily been Havertz and he spends more of his time in the final third getting on the end of crosses and, and mm. balls into the box rather than providing them and, and setting up his teammates. I know Xhaka did his fair share of getting into the box as well last season, but Havertz primarily is doing that. Havertz is also, I think, just generally a bit slower as a player. On the ball, he likes to take a few more touches. He can be a bit lethargic in his touch and the way he presents himself on the pitch, his body language is quite languid. So it just seems like things are going slower. But I think Martinelli is a, a big big space player. And we saw this last season where when teams left space for Arsenal because they thought they could come and have a go at Arsenal. Martinelli scored a lot of goals. He was Arsenal's top scorer last season and was one of the best players in the in the Premier League and in terms of finishing. However, this season, where teams, like we said earlier, have have sat back and, and blocked Arsenal, I think even with Granit Xhaka in the side, it would have been very difficult to to unpick that lock because Premier League defences are some of the best and most well-funded Premier League defences in the world right now. So that makes things very difficult for anyone to break through. And I think Martinelli has really struggled because he's a player who will often try and beat his fullback by getting to the byline. And then once he's got to the byline, he realises he can't really use his left foot and he tries to shoot from an impossible angle or his cross is poor. So that's been a real issue for Arsenal this season that they've not quite had that same threat down the left-hand side. Interestingly enough, 
when the space has been there. So if you look at Martinelli in the Champions League, for example, where teams are more willing to come on and have a go, yeah. Martinelli scored or assisted in every single game he's played. And the final minutes against Crystal Palace, where they were kind of all over the place and they'd lost the game and I don't really know what was happening, but they were leaving a lot of gaps and, and Martinelli scored twice in, in injury time. So the difficulty is then Arsenal come up against a team like Nottingham Forest who put 10 men inside the box. And I don't think many players would be able to find space or I think most players would struggle in that scenario. So it does make things very difficult for him, but it does feel like a bit of a loss this season. And you mentioned confidence. He does look like a player who's struggling. And I remember the Arsenal game against Liverpool at Anfield just before Christmas and Martinelli's got a great record against Trent Alexander-Arnold and he looks really scared of that duel. He looks like he was shying away from it and that's not really like him. And Liverpool are a kind of team who ideally, you know, on paper should be the kind of team Martinelli thrives against because he's given the space because Liverpool aren't going to sit back and defend. They're going to try and go for Arsenal and that's the kind of thing that he should enjoy. He hasn't been able to do so that much in the Premier League, at least this season. And it has been disappointing because... Arsenal have lost one of their best goal-scoring avenues. And like we said just before, they've not really got anyone to come in and replace him. Yeah, it's just that left side just looks look, sort of a little bit less... Um, well, it seems that like there's less depth, both in obviously Martinelli's position and Zinchenko's position, certainly. Um, and it's just yeah, been interesting to see him with... Um, the way in which you know, when you're faced with that situation, sometimes you just have to ask the players to try and play through it and hope that they rediscover it. As you mentioned, that Palace have no idea what was happening in that last 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> it was a very, very confusing uh, uh, approach to, to a football match in the last 10 minutes. But I think yeah, Martinelli obviously made made the most of that. And, and I think, yeah, Jack had the point around that. I, I, I just noticed that, as, to your point, perhaps it's even perception with... Uh, with Havertz in terms of sort of how quickly he he releases the ball, but um, another point I wanted to to bring up, and I, I spoke about this with um, some of the previous Arsenal guests we've spoken on, um, spoken to this season, uh, given how many times we've we've played each other. But I was interested by the decision to, and there's been lots of debate around this, but um, to to make the move for for David Raya um, in the summer and to. Um, you know, to bring him in, as you said, with that obligation to um, to buy as well. And uh, interested on in your perspective on how that move has 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 worked out to date. Whether or not you think the trade off and his his um, better ability on the ball has has been has been worth it necessarily. Um, I, I just found it an interesting area of the pitch to address. Um, could have been just an op- op- a more opportunistic signing rather than one that was maybe planned um, very far in advance, but um, seemed a, a, an odd one to me, obviously, with um, sort of the the way in which Ramsdale been playing and the confidence and seemingly just how integral he was to uh, a real feel-good factor within the squad. Uh, maybe I'm making much too, you know, too much of it, but I'm just interested in your perspective on, like, so far anyway, how, how, worth, that, um, how worth it that trade-off has been. No, you're not making too much of it. It's a debate that Arsenal fans are having week in, week out. And it was an opportunistic signing. It wasn't one that they necessarily planned for um, for you know months and months in advance, like some of their other deals. I think you can tell that by the way the deal was structured in the sense that Arsenal went for the £3 million loan because they didn't have any money left to spend on David Raya because they weren't expecting to go out and sign him this summer. Right. That's because you know Bayern Munich were interested, Spurs were interested, Man United were interested. Um, I think even Real Madrid showed an interest at one point. And 
he was fully expecting to leave Brentford and, and Brentford had already signed their replacement for him and Mark Fleck and then they were fully expecting him to go. But come August, no one had really come in for him in terms of a proper move materialising. And Spurs obviously went for Vicario, Chelsea went for Robert Sanchez, Man United went for Anana, uh, Real Madrid went for Kepa. So uh, Bayern went for, who did they sign in goal? Uh, Jan Sommer, I think it was. So... Um, yeah, a lot of the the options that he had available to him as a potential exit avenue had had closed up, and suddenly Arsenal thought, "Well, this is a guy we've been scouting for three years since he was in the Championship with Brentford. Let's try and let's try and get him in." And, and they were able to get that deal over the line, and they've got a really good relationship with Brentford. It's interesting that we started the comments, the the podcast sort of talking about how Arsenal were much less exciting than they used to be, and much less uh, hectic and high intensity games. And I don't think there's a position that symbolises that more than the goalkeeping position. So we remember last season, that game at Anfield, Arsenal 2-2, where second half, Liverpool basically were just barraging the Arsenal goal. There was nothing Arsenal could do to get out. And Aaron Ramsdale conceded twice, but had a superb game and, and made lots of saves. And yeah, was really crucial ones yeah, later on, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it turned out not to be any use in the end. But as far as Arsenal were concerned, that day kept Arsenal in the title race, really. However, I don't think Mikel Arteta would have liked that in the sense that you look now where Arsenal are playing, they don't really have those kind of games where the goalkeeper needs to make five, six, seven saves to keep them in it because they're able to control things a lot more. And, and people will point to the fact that maybe David Wright isn't as good a shot stopper as Aaron Ramsdale and probably Wright wouldn't be able to pull off some of those saves that Ramsdale pulled off at Anfield last season. But, but he doesn't need to be, does he? Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It doesn't need to because he's so good at helping Arsenal control games that they're never facing those barrages. It's difficult to remember a time where Arsenal have found themselves that much up against the cost this season where they've had to really dig in and defend. The times I can think of, there was a brief period at Anfield where, where Liverpool were on top. Um, right to the start of the season, they were down to 10 men against Crystal Palace and they really sort of did, you know, batten down the hatches and back to the wall defending. But beyond that, there's not been many games where Arsenal have really, really had to suffer defensively. And that's because... They have so much control of possession and they have so much um, domination of the ball. And I think people would argue that maybe Aaron Ramsdale could have pulled that off and that the, the difference is probably incremental. And when you're looking at evolutions in the project and, and what we spoke about before in terms of where Arsenal maybe needed to allocate their budget this summer, you could argue that the goalkeeping position wasn't high on the list and they had just extended Aaron Ramsdale's contract. So I think they would have argued that as well. However, when the opportunity came up to sign Ryan, they were always thinking about making an evolution eventually in the goalkeeping department. They've suddenly got a goalkeeper who, obviously in terms of personality, brings a lot more calm. You mentioned Ramsdale as a leader, but he's a very hyper guy. He's very up and down, maybe not up and down, but he's very um, energetic and likes to get involved with the fans and, and likes to tee things up and likes to get the atmosphere going and, and thrives in those kind of atmospheres. But David Ryan is, is not really that kind of guy. He's a bit quieter, he's a bit calmer, and uh, I guess a bit more... Um, like the rest of the Arsenal team in terms of being just a little bit more, I don't want to say dull, but not as, um, you know, interesting. It's probably not a very nice way to describe it, but I can't think of a, a better it's, way. Yeah, system first over exactly. know, the individual. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, um, it's. I, I think it was, I mean, I, I've heard lots of Arsenal, I think, I think we had Chris Godfrey on from the, the Guardian earlier in the season. I mean, he was making the comparisons. I know lots of Arsenal fans have made around um, the the trade off Liverpool had to make from um, heavy metal football, if you like, that wasn't actually um, 
quite as as described uh, at at the time, but making that trade-off between attack and defense and the importance of signings like Fabinho and and Van Dijk and Allison, who still uh, the the latter two um, like make up the spine of of Liverpool's team and. Uh, the, the importance of the fact that Liverpool could then go away uh, to um, let's pick a t- uh, Newcastle, for example, be one nil up and go. Okay, well that's it. We'll just we'll just we'll just win this game one nil, which yeah. wasn't a quality that the, the the previous incarnations of that Liverpool side had necessarily. Um, it felt horribly uncomfortable, I have to say, because <laughs> you hadn't seen it as a Liverpool fan for for seasons and seasons and seasons. But uh, after a while, you sort of realised that was the approach that was going to be. Um, the one that kept us up there. And then obviously you had, you had to rely on the attack to do their thing. Um, uh, on that control, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice segue to it. And lots of conversation around Declan Rice and, you know, obviously with the price tag and his his impact and seemed to settle really early, really well uh, into the side. Um, interested to get your perspective on, I mean, I know he's done very well, but like h- how his role uh, has it changed at all as the season's gone on? Is he is he now having more influence in certain areas of the pitch, or um, are there things that you've maybe identified about Declan Rice in this Arsenal system? Does does he need certain players to complement him in that unit that you think are perhaps the best uh, pairing for him as well? Hi everyone, this month the channel is supporting a local charity based in Edinburgh called Steps to Hope. Steps to Hope helps support people who are experiencing homelessness and addiction. The founder of the charity, Richard Roncero, is currently doing a sleep rough campaign where he is sleeping rough on the streets in eight different cities for eight weeks. Please like, share and follow the Facebook page and if you can, donate. Thank you. I think he complements the others. I think okay. he's been such a good addition to this Arsenal team and he's played different positions. So uh, there have been times when, uh, let's say, Declan Rice has uh, had to play alongside Jorginho in midfield and he's done a really good job. And, you know, Jorginho's not the most mobile guy, so Declan Rice gives him the legs. There's been mm. times he's played alongside Thomas Partey and Partey's more of a uh, a technical player and, and and Rice is able to give him a bit more energy and, and, and combine with that technique really well. And also what Declan Rice does, which has been really important for Arsenal, is, is when he plays alone in that number six position, in, I guess what Liverpool would call like a Fabinho role. Um, he's very good at helping Arsenal win the ball high and and keeping them high up the pitch. So we spoke about domination. That's been a real theme of this podcast. And he enables them to continue dominating because when a team dares to try and counter-attack Arsenal, they've got to get past the best interceptor in the Premier League. That is Declan Rice, arguably the best interceptor in world football. And he just mops up any sense of danger that exists in front of that Arsenal defence. And he can be everywhere. He's He's, like I said, so agile, so athletic that... He really enables Arsenal to keep teams under the cosh and really not have a moment to think because constantly with a player like Rice at the back, you can afford to barrage and you can afford to maybe commit a few more men forward because you know you've got that extra insurance policy behind you that is Declan Rice. So, yeah, he's combined really well. I think Mikel Arteta would have liked to combine him a few more times. Obviously, he's been unlucky in the sense that Partey's been out injured and uh, I think Jorginho is, you know, 31 and maybe can't play every single game like he used to. So... Yeah, I think we would have liked to have seen him combine a little bit more and maybe play in the, the eight position a bit more in some games and, and, and mix it up a bit. But there's not an Arsenal fan who will have a bad word to say about Declan Rice. He's been such an improvement to mm. this Arsenal side. He's he's taken them to another level. And if they do go on and win the Premier League and even the Champions League as well, he'll be a huge, huge part of that because he offers them something that they, they simply didn't have before. And he's, again, been a huge part of that control that Arsenal are now able to exert over opposition teams. 
Another player who got an opportunity against Forrest, you would have seen obviously being at the game, was uh, Emil Smith-Rowe. Hasn't really um, had much game time for a while. I think he's had his injury problems, but also sort of been working hard to try and get back into Mikel Arteta's plans, I suppose, for um, for that first choice uh, 11. Um, How do you think he did? Um, And as a player, and I know he's a popular one amongst the fan base, but I mean, as a player, I mean, how do you, how do you sort of like see his, his, his future at the club? I mean, do you think he could have more of a um, influential role in the rest of the season? Yeah, I thought he did pretty well um, against Forrest. I I thought he obviously started very brightly. Um, He played the role very differently to to the way Kai Havertz plays it. Havertz tends to stay in his position a bit more, tends to stay a little bit more central. Smith Rowe was interchanged with Martinelli on the left. He was popping up on the right. He was winning balls high. He was one of the few players in that first half who was willing to take a shot for Arsenal when they were, you know, really hammering Forrest, but not really able to convert it into any opportunities. 80% possession, but only, I think, six shots in the first half. And, and I think two of those came from Emil Smith-Rowe and another one was assisted by him. So he was he was good. He was direct, I think, unsurprisingly for a player who was starting his, his first Premier League game since October, he he fell off a bit in the second half and took off, was taken off around the 70-minute mark. And yeah. I don't think he's got 90 minutes in his legs at the minute. And I think that is his biggest problem for Arsenal. It's, it's not necessarily been as people have suggested that Mikel Arteta hates him or he doesn't like him or he doesn't want to play him or doesn't rate him. Um, because, you know, let's remember Mikel Arteta was the guy whose job was essentially saved by Mill Smith-Rowe on Boxing Day. I know that's a bit simplistic and it wasn't quite that simple, but he turned things around for us on that Boxing Day against Chelsea all those years ago where, you know, they were 16th in the league, I think, and, and then they went on to have a, a decent season and now, you know, they built on that ever since. And Smith-Rowe is a, a really frustrating player for Arsenal because... They're so desperate to see him succeed, but he's been so unfortunate with injury and he missed basically a whole year. He he didn't start a game for Arsenal in any competition for, for 500 days. And that's that's a really long time to be out. And I think people forget mm-hmm. that when they think, oh, he should just come back in and, and suddenly you snap your fingers and he's the player he was when he came into the Arsenal team. Just he's playing person, in a different, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's playing in a different position now than he was before. So on before he was on the left wing, now he's in the middle. And it's interesting to see how that's, Develop personally, I preferred him on the left wing, but I think Mikel Arteta has, has paid a lot more money than me to make those decisions for a reason, and I'll, I'll trust him on that front. And yeah, his difficulty will be dislodging Kai Havertz, who's a big money signing. He's also got Fabio Vieira of competition, who hadn't really done it for Arsenal yet this season, but was Mikel Arteta signing and is a, a player that Mikel Arteta really rates. So Smith Rowe will have lots of competition, and it, it'll be up to him basically to decide does he want to play every single game or does he want to fight for his place and, and and mix it up a bit? And I think Arteta would love to keep him. If you look at the way City have hundreds and hundreds of, of number 10s and players who can play in those midfield positions, Arteta would love to have something similar to that. Smith Rowe didn't want to go anywhere this January. He was linked with some moves and there were teams interested, but he really wants to stay in and, and try and make a fist of it as his boyhood club and he'll have two years left in his contract at the end of this season. And maybe then Arsenal will start to make a decision on him because we all know from, from this January window, one of the big themes has been homegrown players go down as 100% profit and, and Arsenal might be interested in uh, in maybe cashing in. But I think, you know, he's a player who Arteta really likes and he does have a future at Arsenal. I just don't quite think it's going to be the one that's as influential as everyone hoped for when he first burst onto the scene in that COVID season. Sure. Yeah, it is really, really hard to build um, or to rebuild after missing that much football. I think, as you as you point out, it just takes time and you need the opportunities and they don't necessarily always come. And uh, one thing that I want to talk about just, just before we move on to maybe have a look at 
at the game itself on the weekend is uh i think i i'd missed it but i'd seen some of these rumors recently around um uh, suggestions i don't know even know if there were rumors around Mikala peta and uh and barcelona with the fact that obviously chavi's announced that he's leaving uh leaving the club this season as uh as well uh quickly quashed obviously by everybody around the club and including arteta himself and uh you you do look at the position that he he's in at the club and uh the trust he clearly has with the owners, um, the backing he's had, um, and the, almost the comfort in that role actually. So you, you'd, yeah, you'd, you'd question why he would he would jeopardize that to to go to a club that does look to be in a, in a much more chaotic state at the moment. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion though, because I think one one aspect of, me, uh, of it that's interesting for me is it's it's one thing getting the backing from uh, your your directors of football, the people who run the club, you know, getting the money in the transfer window, and uh, clearly having a you know um, well liked amongst the fan base, uh, clearly uh, amongst the squad. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion though on the fact that um, how how do you think Mikel Arteta is being graded uh, at the moment in, in in terms of the fact that yeah he's been in the club now for a number of years, um, you know clearly developed Arsenal. I thought last season where they were ahead of schedule in terms of the progress that they made and deserve a lot of plaudits for that. He's got consistency again this season with because of where they are in the league and um, still up and and uh, competing for the title. Um, Come the end of this season, what do you think he'll be judged on in terms of, um, uh, you know, if if you were grading his paper? Uh, do, do you think there is going to be an increased level of scrutiny on Arteta around actually, um, you know, producing the trophies in these competitions now? Yeah, I think there will be. Um, he'll be judged on trophies. He'll be judged on if he can win the Premier League or the Champions League because Arsenal didn't take, well, I suppose they took the FA Cup seriously and were unlucky to go out against Liverpool true, and didn't true. take the Carabao Cup very seriously. So those two opportunities at Trophy have gone and coming into the season, all the discussion from the club was we want to win the Premier League, we want to win the Champions League, we want to win all the big trophies and then we want to right the wrongs of last season where they, they fell away at the, the very last and that's going to be very difficult this season but that's what Arteta is going to be judged on and I think the important thing for, for Arsenal now is, and maybe from people observing Arsenal and, and from fans themselves, is last season it was unexpected. This season it's expected. Everyone thought Arsenal would be up there. Everyone thought Arsenal would be challenging. Many people had Arsenal as their favourites to to win the Premier League. So if Arteta then doesn't deliver, he'll be judged a lot more harshly and he has been backed very heavily. Um, you know, not many managers have received the financial backing that, that he's received and Arsenal have obviously spent it very well and they've not made very many bad signings. So that's not meant as a, a stick to beat them with. But at the same time, when you spend that much money and when you have, you know, a, a British record transfer, you're going to be expected to to win things. And obviously, I don't think Michel Arteta's job is under threat if he doesn't win things. And I don't think there's anyone out there really who can come in and replace him except for maybe Jürgen Klopp when he leaves Liverpool but he did say that he's not going to manage an English team again so yeah I don't think there's anyone really that Arsenal would replace him with but if he doesn't win this season the pressure will be high just as it was with Klopp at Liverpool it's an interesting comparison where Klopp didn't win anything for or didn't win any league sorry for the first couple of seasons and was still getting 90 plus points and Manchester City was setting unbelievable standards and the pressure was still on him and that was always a question that he had to answer and I wonder if Arteta will have to deal with something similar going forward where no one questions his ability as a manager and no one questions his, his tactical analysis and his transfer analysis and all those kind of things. But that ability to get over the line in the league is ultimately what the top level managers are are judged by. And, and that will be the same for Arteta, as harsh as that might be. Yeah, that's the point I was going on, really. I don't think people are um, judging him on the, on the other aspects of the job and terms of sort of the ability he has to... Hello. 
I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Develop players. I think I think it's, yeah, it's when you get to that echelon of the Premier League that you ultimately are judged on on getting over the line. And thanks to certain teams, that, that's becoming incredibly difficult <laughs> to to do um, over the past few years, even when you, uh, yeah, you know, you're performing at such a high level. So uh, bring it to the weekend, then in Sunday's game, Liverpool already played Arsenal twice this season. Uh, the game at Anfield was a uh, a really interesting one in terms of the, the, I suppose, the difference between the first half performance and then the second half um, uh, performance, and then the, uh, the the game in the cup. I thought um, Arsenal um, dominated large portions of that game with, without well, actually, creating chances, but of course, was still in that sort of a uh, um, period where taking chances was a real struggle, um, and Liverpool just hung in there and um, ultimately took their chances again. I think the substitutes, as we were talking about earlier on, came to. Um, sh- show their effectiveness as well. Um, this weekend um, feels like a big game. Um, you know, Liverpool obviously top of the league at the moment, five points uh, clear at the moment, and I think the same number of games played as as Arsenal. Uh, feels like this is um, this is a real big game for Arsenal to you know, at home uh, to reassert themselves in terms of their uh, title credentials. Um, and I imagine in terms of the approach that Arteta's going to take, you're expecting it to be um, uh, a, yeah, a really positive and expansive one, you know, despite the the threats that obviously Liverpool have and, and the fact that they're clearly playing um, playing well at the moment. Hundred percent, Arsenal at home in particular. I don't think they're going to carry away from any sort of fight. Um, they played that way against Manchester City when Manchester City came to the Emirates earlier in the season. And to be quite frank, Arsenal kind of need to win this game. I think if, if Liverpool win it and go eight points clear of Arsenal at the top of the Premier League, it's very yeah. difficult to see Arsenal coming back from that and, and and winning the Premier League, especially with, like you say, that form that Liverpool are in. Liverpool aren't in the Champions League. They've got a really strong squad. Their injured players are coming back. It would look very ominous for Arsenal's title chances if they lose this game. So they need to go at Liverpool. Obviously, they can't go full gung ho and they can't leave the back door entirely open. But they'll need to um, they'll need to take the game to Liverpool, and I expect them to to firmly do that. I expect it to be a fast start, like it was in that FA Cup game. Hopefully, with a bit more finesse in front of goal. But yeah, I think that's what Arsenal will do. I think they'll they'll play their game and they'll really take it to Liverpool and. I wonder if we'll maybe see a midfield two of, of Rice and Jorginho instead of of just Rice on his own, just to to add a bit more solidity in the middle of the park. But beyond that, I don't think Arsenal will will look to go too defensively. I think they'll really look, go for Liverpool. And what have you made of of Liverpool? I suppose over the recent weeks, I think there was definitely some questions about sort of like I think their their credentials or sort of I think the 
still finding a, um, a an ideal sort of uh, first first choice eleven, getting the midfield balance right seems to be there now. And it, actually, despite the fact that Robertson and and Trent, amongst others, have been have been at, been out, obviously there's been uh, great impact from from the academy players that have come in and, and I think actually one player in particular who I've seen um, have really good games against Arsenal now the past two games despite necessarily not always playing in his preferred position has been uh, been Joe Gomez and I think he's he's, he's really um, enjoying this um, this long run of uh, form and fitness and uh, what have you made of 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 Liverpool and if you, uh, I suppose if you were thinking about this game is there an area where you think that they're um, this side is gettable and Arsenal need to be focusing on it. They're pretty terrifying. And it's interesting for most of the start of the season, I think Arsenal in particular were, were looking at the title race and most people were looking at the title race as a, a two-horse race between Arsenal and Manchester City, just as it was last season. People were thinking, well, you know, Liverpool are here, but, you know, they're not quite the Champions League winning team that they were a few seasons ago and they're in transition and they basically signed an entire new midfield in the summer and, Klopp's having to rebuild and they're in the Europa League and maybe they've fallen off a bit based on last season and Van Dijk's getting on and Salah's getting on. and But they kept hanging around the top of the table and they kept, without really playing that well, hanging around and, and, and winning games. And True. now around Christmas, they seem to have found their top gear and they've, they've started playing well. And that performance against Chelsea on Wednesday night, I watched the game. That was, that was very ominous from an Arsenal perspective because, yeah, Chelsea are a mess and, you know, they're a long way off what they used to be and not particularly good side at the minute, but the way Liverpool took them apart and, and how ruthless Liverpool were with that game. And, and they could have scored many more than the four they did. They absolutely pummeled Newcastle as well earlier in the season. Admittedly, these rule at Anfield, so there's that caveat. But they're an experienced team in big games. They know what they're doing. They've got wily professionals and they've also got young players who want to prove themselves. And that's a dangerous mix. And obviously the intangible is how much is Jurgen Klopp's departure going to impact this team and, and how much of an extra boost is that going to give them and you know how much they're going to want to win it for him. So that's very difficult. Like you say, I think if, if Arsenal are going to go for an area, it's, it's going to be those fullback positions and that's where they've had joy in the past and starting fast is, is, is going to be key for Arsenal and you know, obviously the high press for Liverpool is, is probably the best in the world but Arsenal were pretty good at playing out from the back themselves and, and if they can play out and, and get their, their fast players Saka, Martinelli, Jesus going on the counter-attack then they've got a good chance and you know, twice at Anfield in a row now, Arsenal probably should have been out of sight in the early stages and they haven't been able to do that. So if they can do something similar at the Emirates this time around, then they've got a really good chance of, of getting a really important result. And, and Arsenal's record at the Emirates is decent against Liverpool. It's not great, but it, it, it's decent. And I think last season's game will, will be a huge factor. And, and also Arsenal have been really good at using sort of games where they feel like they've been wronged in previous seasons to motivate them Again, so you look at, I don't know, uh, Nottingham Forest, for example, where last season at the City Ground, their Premier League title hopes officially came to an end. They were all in the build-up to that game. That's all the players in the dressing room were talking about. We need to get revenge on Forest. We need to win this game. We need to go. And I wonder if it'll be something similar against Liverpool. They look back at that FA Cup game, they'll think that was an awful night for us. We need to put that right. And that'll be extra motivation. And yeah, the fullback positions will be big, but... I don't really know. Um, it's a very difficult game to call. I think Liverpool are a really, really good side and us will have their work cut out trying to win them. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me is, I think to your point, Liverpool hung, hung around there without necessarily playing the best football and now the best football is starting to come more consistently. I think that's not it's not been a coincidence that that's come, I think, when 
Um, the likes of Curtis Jones has come into the team. Uh, I think and actually actually Curtis Jones and Joe Gomez coming into the team is I think has really helped out uh, McAllister uh, and helped him find his feet in that six role, which is not necessarily natural to him, but now looks to be really uh, relishing it. Um, the, the support he gets from Jones and support he gets from Gomez, but he's played on that side, not, not being a natural left back and a bit more conservative defensively. I think it's helped him out so. I'm going to be interested to see, really, because we've not had the luxury of Robertson available, uh, being available, and Trent's been absent for a while as well. Salah's obviously not going to be here for this for this game. Um, so interesting to see what Klopp does with the fullbacks, um, given the success we've had with their deputies. Um, Connor Bradley seems to be on a, uh, a very interesting journey for himself at the moment, where he can do no wrong. So. I'm interested to see the starting lineup against uh, against Arsenal uh, and whether or not Klopp has it in his mind. Well, maybe 20 or 30 minutes of like the, the highest intensity versions of Robertson and Trent is is the way to go for now. Um, and I keep on trusting the players that I've I've trusted so far. I think one player I've just seen this morning actually, who is a doubt, uh, is the guy who could have probably added four goals um, uh, to that scoreline against Chelsea midweek. Uh, hit the post four times. It was was, was Darwin Nunez. I think there's uh, yeah, just been an update this morning that he he left the stadium in a boot. Um, nothing's broken. I think some sort of swelling or something like that. So he's he's a little bit of a doubt. We'll see how um, how uh, how much veracity there is to that office. Any, any of these mind games or whatever. But I think your point around the intangible is the point that all Liverpool fans are thinking about as well. Is I can't. No, I'm having been a fan for a number of years. I can't. I can't really imagine a better motivational um like uh I don't know elixir to give me um then oh yeah this guy's going in four, in four months uh you know you have to give it everything to, to try and make it as successful as possible so we'll see how much uh impact that can have I suppose my only worry about that to be honest is the closer it gets to the end the more emotional it will get and uh, this is really an emotional club emotional side uh, I just hope that the, everybody can manage that. I think it, uh, unless it's clear that Liverpool are in an, uh, in an ascendant position, I think it could be quite uh, a lot to deal with if it's a tight one right before um, the end of the season. Uh, but um, one final question that I suppose to, to, to wrap things up is uh, just to get your perspective um, on Klopp. I, know, I think I saw yourself and a number of other writers talking about the um, your thoughts on his announcement and maybe the impact it will have on um, other clubs across the league and managers who are looking to prove themselves as well. So just to finish off here, yeah, just to get your thoughts on on that announcement and um, yeah, I suppose how how you think it um, impacts the the league. Yeah, obviously a, a huge blow for Liverpool, a huge blow for the Premier League as well because I think he's made the competition much better and I've always enjoyed watching Liverpool play, um, especially with him. I've, I've not bought into the, uh, the anti-club rhetoric that seems to exist because of his antics on the touchline I've always found them quite enjoyable and yeah sometimes he can be a bit prickly with the press but I think he's a really good manager a really good coach and I don't think Liverpool will be able to replace him instantly and I think that's going to have a huge impact and we've seen with Arsenal we've seen with Manchester United we've seen with so many teams that have had managers who are basically institutions and become the club that it's very difficult to move on. It's very difficult to get that appointment right first time. Players are much more simple because players can afford to have a couple of off games and you can you know, swap them in, swap them out. If the manager's not right, then you're in big, big trouble, especially for a team like Liverpool where the manager is sort of ascended to, to God status. And, and that's a really, really big thing. Getting that next appointment right is 
almost an impossible task because who's out there who plays the same style of football as Jurgen Klopp? Maybe Thomas Tuchel. Is he going to leave Bayern Munich? I'm not really sure right now. Beyond that, you're looking at some very, very difficult decisions. And people talk about Xabi Alonso, but even if he was to come in, he plays a very different style from Jurgen Klopp and would need a bit of a transition period to, to go for. So from an Arsenal perspective, I think like most opposition fans, I was rubbing my hands with joy when I found out Klopp was leaving. Obviously, there was a bit of sadness because, like I say, he's been such a great manager and such a great character in the Premier League. But immediately, you know, there's not much time to send sentimentality in football and you move on quite quickly and you start to think, oh, hang on a minute, there's a gap opening up here and Pep Guardiola will eventually leave Manchester City. He's been there a very long time and you start to look at teams who could maybe start to dominate the the Premier League for years to come and, and Arsenal will fancy themselves in that bracket and Arsenal are in a really good position now. They're, they're you know, above Mikel Arteta. The executive committee is, is really structured and really stable. Um, their squad is quite settled. They've got quite a young squad you know, quite a talented squad as well, but there's not many uh, doubts over the future of many players. Obviously, you've got a really good manager who's very settled as well. So, so many things seem to be heading right for Arsenal and, and this Klopp announcement does appear to make things a little bit easier for them. However, for this season, it's going to make things a heck of a lot harder. And I do think personally, Liverpool will go on to win the league because they're playing some of the best football I've seen in the Premier League this season. I don't think City have hit top gear and I still don't think Arsenal have hit top gear and obviously City do that in the second half of the season and they go from strength to strength but Liverpool have done that too and I really think Liverpool without that Champions League sort of distraction and you know obviously they can go on and win a quadruple and they've got a really good squad but I do think that they'll win the Premier League this season and I think Klopp's parts will, will be a huge part of that and yeah if it wasn't Arsenal who were going to miss out on it I'd love to see Liverpool win it because it'd be nice to see him uh, him end on a high yeah, and from a selfish point of view, um, having like booked everything to go up and see a parade when it did happen, <laughs> and then not getting that chance to have that emotional outpouring, I'm very much uh, selfishly hoping for that. Just um, have to I, ride on the top deck of the bus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Give Calvin Harris a bell and see if I can, uh, <laughs> if I can get up there with all that. Good. It did look like quite a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm just touching all the all the wood around this uh, this room just to make sure. I, I yeah, I'm 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 gonna quash the quadruple talk. Anybody who t- who's, who, <laughs> who mentions that word to me is like, it doesn't happen. It's not a thing. It doesn't happen because there's a reason why it's so tough. And I think it just you know, when Liverpool did get close to doing it, um, ultimately ended up uh, falling short in the two competitions that they probably cared about the uh, the most. To be honest, so it's um, yeah. But I th- let's let's see let's see. I think it's uh, it's gonna be a powerful catalyst for the squad. And uh, yeah, you imagine it's gonna be. Yeah, not many more motivating factors than that. I, I suppose my one bit of encouragement with the club departure is that, you know, he's sort of proving he's left the club in a, a good state. The squad is there for, to be picked up and molded by somebody else. They're all of a good age, really. Um, a couple of players who are obviously towards the end of their like uh, the latter years of their career, but lots of youngsters there. So um feels feels slightly different to departures of the past and you know, football's so different from when Wenger departed and when Ferguson departed anyway so yeah if they get the appointments right uh, I, th- I think above, above Klopp um in terms of the director of football and um any infrastructure there I think that's going to be just just as key and then yeah to your point I think it's impossible to replace the man so going to have to try and find somebody uh, who uh, can uh, withstand the the, the messianic stuff that comes with being Liverpool manager mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, write their own uh, story. But Kaya, I want to yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on 
and for giving us your perspective on on where Arsenal find themselves this season ahead of yeah, it feels like just a massive game this Sunday and uh, hopefully one that is a really entertaining one uh, as well. So yeah, thank you so much for for coming on. My pleasure. Uh, and just to wrap things up, just to, all those who've been listening into these uh, these rivalry cons um, throughout the season, there will be one more ahead of the Liverpool game against Burnley on Saturday, 10th of February. But between now and then, yeah, do check out all the other great content uh, on Athlon Index Pro. Uh, yeah, and uh, let's hope for a, a positive result on uh, on Sunday. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.